and welcome to Pregnancy Confidential, week 40 plus. To induce or not to induce? That is the million dollar question. Pregnancy Confidential is a girlfriend to girlfriend real talk podcast from the folks at Parents Magazine, where we have your back and bump through all 40 weeks. I'm Dana Points, the editor of Parents, and with me today is Mindy Walker, executive editor of Fit Pregnancy and Baby, and Julia Dennison, managing editor of Parents Digital. And I can't believe it, folks. We made it to 40 weeks. So if you're here with us, you are coming into the final hours, and we are right. so excited for we are you. popping champagne. Really? Right. We should have a <laughs> bottle of champagne here. So I, I remember this so well. I totally made it to 40 weeks and beyond, as they say in Toy Story. And you will soon become very well acquainted with Toy Story. Reaching week 40, and I can tell you, I reached week 40 plus twice. It can be a bit of a frustrating time. You probably feel as big as a house, maybe a house with a four-car garage, and completely ready at this point to get this birthing thing going. Now, in our last episode, we covered those lovely old wives' taily type things that you can try to do naturally to coax your body into labor. But now that you're at week 40, it's time to get truly serious, and perhaps your doctor is going to get involved in this decision. So we're going to talk about whether you induce or not. If so, how long do you wait? But before we talk about induction, we're going to talk about our favorite topic, which is how big is that baby? Think about a small dog or even the small dog crate that it comes in. Ouch. So you've got, <laughs> you know, it's it's corners. It's feeling like a baby. So it's not just a bowling ball. It's like a bowling ball in the bowling ball bag the whole right. yards. Just think of anything big, right? That's that's it. how That's how big your baby <laughs> is this week. So if you want more details about what's going on with your baby this week beyond the wacky sizes, uh, you can sign up for our daily pregnancy email at parents.com slash pregnancy daily to get the scoop. Hey everyone, I'm Sid Evans, Editor-in-Chief of Southern Living and host of Biscuits and Jam. Since 2020, I've been interviewing musicians, chefs, authors, and other Southern icons about their family traditions, their faith, their favorite meals, and of course, what it means to be Southern. And I'm excited to announce Season 5 of our award-winning podcast. Join me every Tuesday for new conversations with some of the most interesting and influential Southerners around. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam. If you're 40 weeks now, that is a truly great thing. There are so many benefits to carrying your baby full term, and you have done it. So congratulations. You've made it to the end of the road, but now you're probably wondering, like, how am I going to get this thing out? Most women do give birth pretty close to their due date, although, especially if this is your first, you need to have the myth dispelled. You're not going to actually give birth on the date that your doctor says. Like, that is super <laughs> rare. But the the National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences did quite a bit of research on this, and the length of the pregnancy can vary naturally by up to five weeks. So it is a little squishy, this whole due date thing. 80% of babies, though, do arrive either, you know, in the window two weeks before the due date or within the window two weeks after the due date. So your doctor is going to be super involved at this point in figuring out, you know, are you not quite there, just baked or kind of overcooking? <laughs> um, 
that's going to be based on your own health, like your vitals, what happens when you go and you pee in the cup at those appointments that happen at the very end of your pregnancy. They're going to be looking at your cervix. Are you dilating? And the baby is going to be monitored, too. Um, you'll probably have an ultrasound again at, at this point somewhere in here. Many doctors and midwives, if you use a, a midwife, believe that it's fine to wait until 42 weeks for labor to start naturally. So just because you're 40 weeks doesn't mean your doctor's going to be like, okay, quick, get to the hospital. But some moms wait even longer, like even three weeks after the babies do. So whether this is safe or not is something you have to discuss with your healthcare providers. Your placenta can start to deteriorate if you let the pregnancy go too long. The baby can get meconium, which is the waste in, in their airway. So you are going to want to talk to your doctor about it. I, at this point, pretty much had my fate decided for me because both times I had not enough amniotic fluid. So you have to go get induced. Yeah, that Everyone's... happens for a lot of people, right, at 40 weeks that the fluid levels start to drop yeah. a little bit. Yeah. So the whole concept of choices is sort of limited. When you're yeah, you can have a birth, birth plan, but... <laughs> Sometimes, many times, it's not going to go to plan. So, Mindy, at Fit Pregnancy, I know you guys look at this a lot, but what are some of the options that can be used at this point, short of Pitocin, which we'll get to? Like, right. what can they do first, maybe? There's something called, it does sound a little bit frightening, um, when they strip your membrane. So that happens, like, maybe you're at your appointment, and you're 40 weeks, or maybe even a little bit behind, and your doctor does an exam with her hand that kind of just gets things moving around up there, and it's called stripping the membranes. They separate the amniotic sac from the uterus, and it's with her finger. And it does hurt. Mm-hmm. It hurts. It sounds um, horrifying. Sounds like the worst pelvic exam of your life. Right. <laughs> That's just the first tier of what they can try. Mm-hmm. It's can, natural. It is, right. Mm-hmm. It's manual, mm-hmm. right? There's no drug involved. Now, there are these things they call ripening agents that are like a suppository or a gel that they can use to soften the cervix. They call it ripening the cervix. And that often will bring on labor also within about 24 hours. Ripening the cervix sounds way better than stripping stripping the membranes. membranes. Right. Just if I had to pick. Good point. (laughs) But as someone who's had Pitocin, which is the third option, twice, I can tell you that both of those things, both stripping membranes and ripening the cervix are probably preferable to Pitocin. Mm. It's a synthetic form of oxytocin, which is the hormone that induces contractions. You've heard of oxytocin, right? Mm -hmm. It's that love hormone. It brings on labor, and it brings on labor like the way a sports car goes from zero to 60. It's like, wham, in about half an hour, once you get this IV drip, and by this point you're in the hospital, there's none of this stuff in the doctor's office anymore. Sometimes if you are induced in this way, it will take you longer to deliver the baby because let's face it, you know, your, your body wasn't quite ready yet. But the contractions come very quickly. So if you're going to have Pitocin, don't try to be a hero. I would say, you know, request the epidural at the same time because the contractions are intense. Now, some people might disagree. Tweet us if you think I'm crazy. That's fine. But having had it and having labored mm-hmm. with Pitocin for a while without an epidural, I, I would just recommend the epidural. <laughs> like, I, 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 I second that. I think that there's even research that like a contraction at six centimeters dilated with Pitocin hurts more than a contraction at six centimeters dilated with no Pitocin. Mm-hmm. So you're having, it's a very, it's going to be very hard to do that the whole, and have the energy and stamina to, to deliver that baby if you're using Pitocin without an epidural. So, of course, all of these techniques could be used to carefully orchestrate the exact date that your baby will 
come on or, you know, within a 48 hour period. And we've all heard those stories of celebrities and, you know, even just people whose doctors like to golf on the weekend who schedule their birth around the rest of their life. And I am happy to say, because I am on the board of the March of Times, I am happy to say that this idea of the induction of convenience has begun to really get tamped down in our population. It it used to be like even 10 years ago, people were kind of inducing, you know, because they could. And that's really not happening. And now hospitals are getting measured and rated according to their ability to let people go to term. Those last couple weeks when that baby is developing, like you might think, okay, well, the baby can survive outside my uterus at, you know, 25, 27, 30, whatever the, the, the week is. But there's so much important development that continues to occur right up into the last minute. So one thing that I find fascinating that babies are doing at that end is really mastering their suck. So around right. the 37, 38 weeks, they're really learning how to either nurse or take a bottle. And if you were induced at 39 weeks, what you think is 39 weeks, but maybe you're off, your measurement's off a couple weeks, what you thought your last period was, we never know exactly. Maybe you were really 37 weeks. So now you've delivered a baby three weeks early and they're struggling to nurse or they're having trouble with that. There's a lot going on in those last, there's a reason why we they stay in there. Yeah, that's a great point. The other thing I have to say as the poster child for induction, because I did it twice, there is, should not be any guilt associated with being induced. I mean, there should be guilt associated with being induced, you know, because you want a tax deduction or whatever people might do, <laughs> some crazy thing that they, you know, have to have their baby before the end of the year. <laughs> um, but if your doctor recommends induction, if it's medically necessary, don't feel guilty. Like, it happens. It Just happens. You're still having a baby. On. Right. So listeners were wondering, would you wait past 42 weeks if you could? Some of you might be there already. Are you thinking about getting induced? Tweet us the details at Parents Magazine with the hashtag Pregnancy Confidential. We have talked all along through the many weeks of this podcast about how important it is to have a good relationship with your doctor. And now, in this week's Relax, You've Got This, we're going to transition you over and talk about the relationship that you're going to have with another kind of doctor, and that is the pediatrician. What do you expect at the hospital from your pediatrician and at your baby's first appointment? I'm hoping you've made it to 40 weeks that you have picked your pediatrician by now. If you haven't already, though, no pressure, but, you know, maybe start shopping around, ask those friends, ask people who live in your neighborhood. The reason it's good to have a doctor lined up is that you're going to want that pediatrician or someone who's on call from that practice to check on you and your baby in the hospital right after the baby's born within 24 hours. And you'll want to schedule your baby's first office appointment within a week. The baby should be coming in within a week after you give birth. So it's not like, you know, any pediatrician won't move heaven and earth to get you in there. But one of the things you'll want to do after you, like, Facebook your baby and tell everybody what's going on is confirm with the pediatrician's office, hey, you know, I had the baby, I need the appointment. The doctor that checks in on you in the hospital doesn't necessarily have to be the one pediatrician that you're going to see for the rest of your child's childhood. But it's nice to have that person on call. So even if they don't have privileges at the hospital where you deliver, which is possible, 
the attending pediatrician at the hospital will check on your baby, but then you can always double-check something with your official pediatrician. Even if your baby's rooming in with you, it's going to go into the newborn nursery and have a lot, many different tests happen that first 24 hours. And the pediatrician can get involved in those, make sure those tests are happening. And then, of course, when you see the pediatrician a week later, you should ask about those tests. Like, did the heel prick test come back? Did they, I mean, for most hospitals, you can't leave without getting the hearing test done. But you want to, you know, make sure that those tests are happening and he has he or she has those results. And then your baby will get a hepatitis B shot right there in the hospital, that first immunization. And then you're off to head home. And within a week, you'll be back in that doctor's office. They're going to check on the baby's growth and development. Chances are very good, especially if you're nursing, that baby will lose a little weight that first week. Even before um, you leave the hospital, that can happen. Yes, that's true. You're probably going to have like a lot of paperwork to fill out about the baby. My recommendation would be to bring someone else with you to that visit because at that point you're still getting used to like to diapering and holding the baby, and it's just nice to have another pair of hands and another pair of ears for that ears. first visit. Ears is definitely a good one. <laughs> yes. So the doctor is also the person who's going to be kind of checking in on how you're feeling because you might not have seen your OBGYN for your follow up yet. So don't be surprised if the pediatrician pokes a little bit into whether you're feeling emotional or blue or you have any of the signs of true postpartum depression. You know, it's okay to say it's, it's this is really hard. Yeah. And there's no, as far as like the questions that you're going to want to ask, there's nothing that you should be afraid or feel awkward asking, even if it seems really elementary, like how often should I give baby a bath? Yeah. yeah. Or talking about poop and nervous about like the size or the how often the, the color. frequency. Right. right. Yes. You can ask all questions. Yeah. So don't worry. Feel free to ask lots of questions. You're probably going to be in that doctor's office like six times in the first year. So use that doctor as a resource. Mindy, what are the secrets to having a great pediatrician? Do choose one who is very close to your own home because you are going to be there a lot. And that is going to make it easier for you to see your doctor. But I also just think this should be someone who shares your philosophy. But then if you don't like the doctor, like you might have chosen a pediatrician before you had the baby. And if it doesn't go well, I mean, I've been really fortunate. We are still with the pediatrician that I chose before I had my baby, but I know other people have changed. We changed we changed practices and it was hard yeah. at first to say goodbye to someone who I had been with for a while, but I knew it was the right thing to do. I'd met this other pediatrician who I really connected with and felt like it was going to be a great place for my daughters to, to be seen. And so you had to call and request those papers to be sent, all that information. Ouch. How did yeah. you break up? How did you tell the doctor? Chocolate. Oh, really? Treats. Oh, my goodness. That's your answer to everything, Mindy. <laughs> just, just, just sugarcoat it a right. little bit. And, you know, and it, you know, I just, you don't have to give the full story. You can say maybe it's a location thing. You know, they're not going to go, doctors are busy. They have a lot going on, too. And this has happened to them before. I mean, think of it as in your work world when colleagues have left. It's nothing personal against you when your colleague leaves. It's just they found something else that's a better fit for them. And did you interview them? Because I've heard people interview, scheduling interviews ahead of time with, like, three different pediatricians. Is that something you guys did? I did. And it's it's routine. Like the okay. doctors won't be like, what? You want to come in and meet me, but you're still pregnant? No, they are, you know, it, it can be more than a phone call. You can actually go into the office, mm-hmm. which okay. is not a bad thing to kind of scout it out. And also just does the office run smoothly? How many people are piled up in the waiting room? Hopefully not that many. Do they look content or miserable? You can even, when you're in the waiting room waiting to meet with the doctor, you can kind of interview other people in the waiting room. Also, though, when it comes to meeting a doctor, remember, they're probably meeting you, too. Like, what is your opinion on immunizations and letting Mm -hmm. you know what their feeling is to, like, let you really know about the practice and and 
does it really, they want you to come because you want to be there. Right. I mean, if you have strong feelings about not immunizing, and we could spend hours on that conversation, but, you know, there are some doctors who will not treat you, who won't treat your child. So that is something that you're going to want to disclose. Don't hide it because it's just going to come up in the course of normal business when the doctor says, okay, it's time for your shots. We would, of course, recommend following the immunization schedule and and getting those shots. But there are parents out there who have strong feelings um, against it. And you should just be honest about that as you're interviewing prospective pediatricians. But you should educate yourself first. So that's all we'll say about the pediatrician. But boy, you made it to the end. This is our last installment of Pregnancy Confidential. So we're sad to leave you, but we're excited about the fact that we're kicking you out of the nest. Good luck. (laughs) Good luck. Have a fantastic labor and delivery. Enjoy your time with baby. Don't be afraid to, you know, raise a flag if you need some help in your life. And there are going to be many times that you will. If it's just a matter of information, remember, parents.com is always there for you. We want to be your headquarters. And uh, we hope that you'll sign up for our newsletters, because even if you have missed your pregnancy newsletter, you haven't been getting that email, you can go to parents.com and sign up and tell us when your baby is due or when you had your baby. And we will send you a newsletter keeping you in touch with where you are in your child's development and the latest news on health and well-being for for your growing baby and even toddler and on from there. <laughs> so so do sign up to get our newsletters. Congratulations. We're we're thinking about you. That's it for Pregnancy Confidential for today and for our podcast. Our producer is Sarah Abdurrahman. Our engineer is Zach Dinerstein. Thanks also to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. They've been with us this entire 40 weeks. <laughs> Please let us know what you think of the show. You'll find us on Twitter at Parents Magazine, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Parents Magazine, or Instagram at, you guessed it, Parents Magazine. We'd love for you to share some baby pictures with us there. And if you liked the show, please tell a friend, a pregnant friend, someone who's about to embark on the same wild, crazy journey that you are about to finish. She can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or her favorite podcast app. If you subscribed, please go back and leave us a rating or a comment. It'll help other people find the show. And now, speaking of show, on with yours. <laughs>